You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Good morning, church. I um, confess to you that my heart is heavy this morning, so I hold true to the scripture that we're going to read together. Um, I invite you to turn to John 15, 1 through 11. If you do not have a Bible, the Pew Bible in front of you is our gift to you, and our reading will be on page 958 today. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. So we are beginning a new series today, and um, before we do, um, I, th- I think, is that Mark Cox back there? Mark, is Alice with you? Oh, man. Would you stay? Is Caleb with you? Faith? Everybody? Okay. Well, didn't mean to call out Faith. But would you all stand up just for a second? Um, um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm not an emotional guy ever. Um, so a big reason why I am here is because of this man's uh, influence in my life. Um, the Coxes have served in Asia on multiple stints. I uh, served with Mark at First Baptist uh, for several years. And when God had told me and my family that we're supposed to come here, um, it was Mark and the pastor there at the time, Andy, that led the church there to say, well, let's go in with them and uh, help fund um, us coming. And then Mark dropped the mic there and then went back to Asia with uh, his family and y'all been back for some time. Uh, We've been praying for them, uh, as y'all know, but uh, we just wanna thank you for um, not only loving me personally, but loving the gospel so much that you, there's several churches that are now forming and churches over there that, and we just wanna thank you for your mission work. And so we love you. So, um. So glad that y'all were here. It's, I, I, a while ago, I, when I was introducing the families, I, I stuttered because I did a double take. I was like, is that the Coxes? Are they back there? Um, anyway, glad you're here. And uh, we are 
getting into this new series today. And uh, it is my joy to do that. And many of you are thinking, okay, how long will this series last? Because every time you say we're going to start a mini series, it ends up being a mega series. And uh, we are not getting into another book of the Bible just yet. Uh, we feel like there's some things that, that God is leading us to look at and think and, and just to sort of use the metaphor to be rooted in. Uh, then we're going to get into some Advent and then we'll start a new book series, Lord willing, um, after that, after those times. Uh, but today we start with this new series, Abide. Um, this passage that Lauren began with is an illustration, just like Jesus, to, to look around him and to see uh, ways to best teach his disciples and, and using metaphors, using images that will help stick in their minds and, and teach them important lessons. Um, he is the God of all things, so all things that are good, he can use and seize and, and utilizes those things for our good and teaching. And what we see here is the seventh and the final I am statements of Jesus. He has said up to this time, he says, I am the bread of life. Another picture there of bread. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then we come to this one where he says, I am the true vine. Jesus uses this well-known description that all Jewish listeners would understand. They see this and they hear this and they are not mistaking what is being said. They are aware that Israel was called repeatedly, specifically in Isaiah for sure, that they are the vineyard of God that God is who God is and that he is growing something and he's doing it through his people, Israel, and they are called the vineyard. So in this text, Jesus is directly linking himself to be the very vine that they are attached to. This is a weighty statement for them. This was not just one of those that, like when he says, I am the bread, that's like, what? Bread? I am the light. Light, like this is another one of those things that, that catches and sort of jars and, and hooks the people in to understand the role of Christ and the plans of Christ. Jesus is not only emphasizing his identity here, Jesus is emphasizing the purpose and the plans that he has for those who follow him. So he uses this illustration to instruct the listener how to have that abundant, purpose-filled life and to do it in the way and the plan for the plans that God has for them. How to live with that vibrant joy, that fulfilling purpose, and to do so without continual shame, continual guilt, to do it so free that the burden of wondering, am I saved? Am I going to make it? Am I saved? Am I going to make it? That that's no longer there. But to live in such a way that there's freedom, knowing that not only are you imperfect, but 
there's something that's been done to hold you with God. He states, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Another translation for that is, my, va- my father is the gardener. He repeats this in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus wants us to understand something very important about our lives, that there are several roles at play here. There's a gardener. The gardener has a job. The gardener's job, the vine dresser's job, is to do the work of a faithful gardener to preserve the health of the whole garden, of the whole vine. That means... The gardener has oversight. The the gardener inspects. The gardener will prune. The gardener will remove anything that might hinder or jeopardize the growth of the entire garden. It's what a good gardener does. There's a vine. The vine has its purpose and its role. The vine is doing exactly what the vine is supposed to be doing. The vine is is spreading and sort of serving as a conduit of, of life for the intended purposes of the budding branches. And then there are the branches. And this teaching is to motivate these branches. And he uses both warnings and invitations to do this. But as we look at the role of the branch, just real briefly, we see quite clearly what the branch is supposed to be doing. We we see it all throughout here. We see it in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit. Why? So that it will produce more fruit. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it abides and remains in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide and remain in me. So there's this this role of the branch to be doing something. We see it again in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, abides in me, and I in him produces much fruit. So the expectations of the branch, it's pretty clear. Couldn't be more clear. Produce fruit. Produce good fruit. Produce much fruit, produce more and more and more fruit. Would that describe your life? Somebody's not just producing some fruit, but producing good fruit and producing fruit so much that you see more and more and more as you grow in maturity. What is this fruit that Jesus was referring to. Why is he using this as a metaphor? Well, generally speaking, we know what fruit is. Fruit is the overflow or the outpouring of what's inside something or someone. It's what a person is made of that comes out, something that springs forth from some specific type of seed. You plant an apple seed, you're going to get apple trees that produce apple branches. That produce what? Yeah, good class. All right, you're with me. As branches, what springs forth out of someone reveals what type of someone we are. A branch that produces fruit of cherries will review, reproduce exactly that. 
And so what we have here is the opportunity, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> to explore what are these attributes? What are these, what's this fruit that followers of Christ should be seeing or producing in their life? Well, one way to see this is what we see in Galatians chapter 5. So I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me. Galatians 5 verse 22 and 23. We have a writing of Paul here, writing to the church. And, and Paul sort of uh, juxtaposes the fruit of the vine with the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of that which is the person who is following Christ. And he has compared it to the fruit that comes from somebody who's not attached to Christ. For time's sake, I just want us to look at the fruit that is of the Spirit. This is the fruit that Jesus is referring to. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'm just going to keep reading. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we see a list here. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, this, this list of, of really good attributes that every time I, I sort of refer to these, I think these are how we see the person we want to be with. We want to we have holy matrimony with the person who's loving, who has joy, who has kindness, who's good, who's gentle, who, who practices self-control. And then we realize about five years in, wait, where was that person that I thought was all these things? The message from Christ, the message that we see through Paul is that there are these attributes that should naturally be flowing through and in someone who's following Christ, who's, as, they, as Paul puts it, walking in the spirit. To be good, it's very clear that one must receive goodness from the one who's ultimately good. To have self-control, one must be connected to the one who is not only in control of all things, but trust that the one in control is good and patient. So therefore, the fruit for me could be self-control. I don't have to overreact. I don't have to to explode. There's one in charge. To be loving, joyful, kind, a person that has real lasting peace, we must be attached to the source of that love and joy and kindness and peace. What we see here from Paul, what we are hearing from Christ in John 15 is that this fruit does not come accidentally. It's not a birthday wish. What we also see, this isn't really fruit that we can say, okay, this week I'm going to be patient. This week I'm going to work. 
to be kind. What we see is that this is fruit that must be planted in and flowing in us through us. So, as Jesus presents this illustration, he uses these motivators as if it's not motivating enough that we would want these certain types of fruits in our life. We see in his illustration five different motivations that he wants his disciples to realize like you need to be about this. What I want to do is look at them real briefly and I want to look at them sort of out of order as they're written, but I want us to look at them in the order that we tend to feel first in, 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 in our immature state. And as we grow into maturity, these motivations will shift from this to this to this to this. So the first motivator that we see here is a negative motivation to bear good fruit. I mean, we see that pretty clearly, right? When, when Lauren read this part of the text, did you go, oh, no. That, that means I need to get with this. There's a negative motivation here. Christ is real clear. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, the gardener, removes. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. There's Christ, our Savior, is making a very clear motivation that there's these kind of branches that aren't bearing the fruit that they're supposed to be bearing. We see a second motivation. I call it sort of a, a personal empowerment motivation. So as we progress in our spiritual faith, we see something like this in verse 7, and we go, oh, wow, this is available for me if I'm bearing fruit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. Is that saying what I'm thinking saying? If you're connected with Christ, you're going to want his will for your life. You, you're going to be abiding in him. You're going to be connected with him. And the fruit that you have, that real spiritual fruit that's bearing good fruit, love, joy, kindness, goodness, will be the things that God answers for you in your life. There's this motivation that don't you want a life where you feel like you're walking in the favor and that God's blessing you and helping you, that's motivating. It's a third motivator. It's a sort of a protective motivation. We see in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain or abide in his love. There's something in this that's like, okay, as I'm, Bearing fruit and producing fruit, there's this being kept part, being protected. We're going to get to this in a few weeks. That's motivating. I want that. Then there's the pursuit of amazing joy motivator. We see in verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Okay. Depending on how the Aggies do, depending on how your children act that day, depending on if everybody is nice to you, depending if you get that promotion, depending on if your spouse always is nice and good and loving to you. I've told you these things so that in me you may have joy and your joy may be complete. 
Jesus knows where these people are going to be sent off to. He knows where they're going, and he knows that the one who's bearing good fruit that's in the vine, there's going to be a holding of them, keeping of them, a protection of them, and they're going to have joy no matter what comes their way. Then there is this fifth motivation. This is for those, and we see this as our progression in spiritual maturity happens that we see in verse 8. I love that Jesus puts this in there just to remind us. This is the ultimate end motivator. This is what we should all be about kind of motivation. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How does this work? Well, there's a lot of ways it could work. I know one way that it works is when somebody sees the spiritual fruit in your life, they taste and see, they're like, wow, there's something about Jason that's different. They knew Jason before Jason was different. And it's like they don't taste the apple, they don't pull the apple off wash it, rub it, take a bite out of it and go, wow, that's a great apple branch. No, say this apple tree is exactly what everybody needs to come and see and take of. They don't point to the branch, they point to the tree, they point to the system, they point to the garden. It's a glorifying of that which produces the apple. That's a motivation. So here's the thing. Jesus obviously wants his followers to know these real motivators in their life. He wants them to know that. And since God the Father as a gardener wants to bring fullness of joy to the branches and he wants to be glorified through our lives, he has He has a role to play, Jesus has a role to play, and we have a role to play. The gardener's role, we already kind of touched on it, is to oversee the growth and the health of the vineyard. So he provides everything that would produce good fruit. And so he creates, he evaluates, but we also see in this description that he prunes or he burns. Those are the only options. One translation says that he's, if you're not producing, he cuts it free, lays it aside, and then it's taken and burned. In a way, you could say that the options for us is that we are either going to receive the ax or we're gonna receive the scalpel. The ax is fierce. It's pretty concrete what axes are supposed to do. A scalpel is exact. Its intention is to remove and, and to make better what is broken inside so that there could be greater health. So that after the scalpel does its work, the pruning can do its work, the branch can go off and live the healthy life it's supposed to live. The gardener has a role. The vine has a role. The vine's empowering the branch. The, the vine is the mediator 
from the gardener to the branch. The vine is the one that serves sort of as a, a conduit of everything that is healthy. I love that Jesus boldly declares to his disciples, I am that vine for you. I am the true vine. I'm not a fake vine. I am the true vine for you. And then we come to our role in this. And you'll see where we're going in just pretty quickly. Obviously, we are to examine our lives. Jesus is telling us this so that we can examine. Are we... Are we producing fruit? Do we see the love, joy, kindness, patience? Or am I constantly giving in to the same sins? Am I constantly getting away from God more and more? Or am I drawing closer to him? Are there, is this kind of fruit in my life? We're supposed to examine our lives. That's what we're going to do in this series. But what we also see here is quite clear. We are to simply go to every Bible study we can. We're, we're supposed to have perfect church attendance. We're, we're supposed to have the kind of children that everybody looks at and says, oh, yeah, they're Christian. Anybody have children like that all the time? No, because they're just as imperfect as their parents, by the way. Let me help that out. No. We see here at least eight times, abide in me, remain in me. The word translated abide is the word menno, which means to remain or abide with or abide in. It's almost like you could say to, to place these glasses in my pocket. I'm, I'm abiding. I'm, I'm causing these glasses to abide within my pocket. I'm, I'm placing them there. These glasses didn't really have any choice. Like they're, they're doing what I'm putting them in to do. They're just staying there. Now, we're obviously not as simple as glasses. But we see here the specific key to bearing good fruit is not that we work and not that we work, not that we work, but that we abide in Christ. How do we do that? I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if we gave it away with our little description there. I don't know if you see it here as clearly as I want us to see it. We remain and we abide by clinging to his word. Let's look at it. Verse 3 starts off, says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He's the word of life. Jesus said, I'm the vine. If you're attached to me, it's because I spoke that to happen, to redeem you, that you are free because I'm going to the cross. I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to pay. I'm going to rise again. And there's no one that can thwart my plans to redeem you. My word. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you want, it will be done for you. There's a clinging to his words, abiding to his spoken word, to his revealed word. Verse 9 and 10, we see it again. As my father's loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Well, how? How do we abide in his love? Verse 10. If you keep my commands... 
you will abide in my love. Jason, wait, that sounds like work. Sounds like work. Keep working to obey. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Jesus did not see following in obedience the words of the Father as work, but as fellowship, as abiding with the Father, walking with him. In verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. I've spoken this so that, what's one of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Friends, my prayer for this little series that we're going to spend time in is that we will take the time to examine our lives and discover and possibly rediscover the important and the beautiful work of God's words taking root in our lives. We're calling it abide, rooted in God's word. This is what we're after in this series. I want us to examine our lives together. And as we do, I pray that God would prune, that he would reveal to you and reveal to me what we are rooted in. Are you rooted in Netflix? Are you rooted in politics? Are you rooted in the here and now? What are you rooted in? Another way that I kind of say this in my house all the time, you've heard me say it here, is God's word the loudest word in your life? Is it the most important word in your life? You may say, Jason, is it really important for my career or for my family or for my country for my decisions that I got to make, is it really important for my goals that I have to take in the Bible? Like, the Bible, is it really that important? Glad you asked. Jason, are you really saying that the Bible is that important? Well, I'm saying it because the Bible says it. I'm saying it because the gardener says it. I'm saying it because the vine has said it. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. He has given the commandments to his people, the vineyard. The gardener's telling them, this is how I want you to grow. This is what's going to produce the fruit I want and I'm looking for. Verse 1 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. He says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do Why? So that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, sounds a little like pruning, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread 
alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines a son, the Lord God disciplines you. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord. And he goes on talking about walking in his ways. Jason, that's the Old Testament. We have Jesus now saying, just stay attached to me. That's all that matters. Just stay attached to me. You're good. Just be a, be a Jesus person. You know what it's not all about the Bible anymore. Glad you said that because Jesus says this in Matthew 4 when he was being bombarded with temptation. Matthew 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, and here's what he said. It is written. Before we even say the rest of it, the vine says that the gardener spoke. Tempter, you're telling me how to have a happier life. You're telling me how to get more fruit. You're telling me how to get more joy. You're telling me how to get more satisfied. No, no, no. The gardener already spoke about this. I'm going to his words. He spoke on how to bring fulfillment to my life. What did he say? It is written. Sounds familiar. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I love this. Every word of God is important. Every revealed word of God is important. Is it important to you? Are you bound to it? Are you dwelling on it? Are you thinking about it? If it's important, then you want peace, you want joy, you want kindness. It's important for you if you want the kind of joy that comes only by being with Christ. It's important to you if you really want to glorify God with your goal setting and where you go to school and where you go to work and who you marry and how you raise up your family. If you want to glorify God, then God's word should be important to you. It's important to you if there's a part of you that's wondering right now, I think I'm one of those branches that might get burned up. His word's important. Every word he speaks is important. People of grace, God wants us near to him. We're just saying that. He wants us to remain in him. He wants us to abide in him. He wants our relationship with him to be real, not stale, not fresh, not vibrant, not just so that people will pluck some fruit and go, look at the great apple tree. No, he wants it for your good. He wants it for your joy. He wants it for your kids to grow up in a home that tastes this and see this from their mom and their dad. He wants it for the coworkers who are seeing everything on the news and going, gross, gross, gross. That they reflect on this coworker that says, 
But there's something different about them. He wants this relationship with us. And just like every good relationship, it requires what? Conversation. Some of you said money, I think. (laughs) We don't just fight over money. We don't just fight over intimacy. We ultimately are fighting how we communicate about those things. A good, healthy relationship is not just us talking, but it's us listening. And God has spoken. He's spoken in his revealed word. In a world or season in your life where you feel maybe nobody else does want you, Jesus says, I want you. I want you to abide in me. I want you to hear my words. I want you to have joy. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Abide in my words so that you can live the life that the gardener is creating for you to live. Do you want that kind of life? Do you want to be that kind of dad? That kind of coach, that kind of teacher, that kind of worker, that kind of boss? Do you want to be that kind of that, that wife and that mother, that, that boss in the workplace? When they see you, there's just something blooming through you? This brief series is for your joy. Jesus said this to his disciples, I know, because there's going to be times in their life where they're going to wonder, is it enough? Have I done enough? I'm not feeling like I'm measuring up today. Abide in me, Christ says. I've already spoken. I've already declared this for you. Just remain in my words and walk and live in the freedom that branches do. Just go. This series is for God's glory. So each week we will look at a different passage that illustrates for us the power of God's word in our lives, the importance of it in our lives, and why we study scripture and why it matters. We first need to realize it's time to examine ourselves. And I love that Jesus doesn't apologize, but he, he assumes that they know that they're going to need help to be the person that they want to be. I think one reason why we reject the word of God in daily practice in our life is because we go, we wake up and we're like, I don't really need it today. I don't really need his help today. I can do without it today. No, this series is about us acknowledging, oh, Christ is our vine. We need you. We need you. We need you every day. We need to meditate on your word today. We need to meditate on it tonight. We need you. So let's go to the Lord and confess that to him as we begin this series together. Heavenly Father, I don't want to live another day arrogantly communicating to you, even if I don't communicate it to you verbally. I don't want to live another day communicating to you that I don't need you. 
Heavenly Father, in this room, I know that there are some that just know there's more to them, more in their life. I pray that you would help us all to examine our lives, that you would reveal to us what it is we're rooted in right now, and that we confess our need for you, and that throughout this series, you would root us and ground us in your holy word and that we would live and produce the fruit that brings us joy and you glory. Thank you, Jesus, for being our redeemer, our mediator, and the source for our life.